I'm Rios. I'm the narc. I've been with Street Cop for seven months. I've been on the job going on 12 years. Prior military, six years. I've been a narc since 2014. Prior to that, I was a, a street cop. I actually attended a street cop course back in 2012. I have done everything from patrol to interdiction to detective work to narcotics to undercover work. I've been doing active undercover since 2016. I've done undercovers from street level buys to infiltrating uh, drug trafficking organizations between Dominican and Mexican DTOs. My class is called the NARC. It's for street cops, supervisors, investigators, detectives, federal task force officers, and undercovers. The class covers everything from what to do after a seizure on a motor vehicle stop, to how to climb the ladder in drug trafficking organizations, to active undercover work. It also assists supervisors on how to pick a certain undercover for certain jobs. This class is called the NARC. However, this class is not only for undercovers, it's for narcotic officers, again, for investigators, patrol officers. The reason being is I'm showing you, I'm teaching you things to do, how to think bigger, how to do investigations from after you've seized 500 grams of cocaine to three kilos of heroin, what to do after that motor vehicle stop, and also investigators, how to build on CI information, how to move up the ladder to the sources of supply. Every investigator, every agent, every task force officer should be always thinking the big picture. With that, you want to identify your drug trafficking organizations and you want to understand the latter. Who's your source of supply? Who are your couriers? Where does the money go? Where do the drugs go? Who's shipping it? Understanding the big picture will allow you to identify which resources to use. Also understand that when you climb the ladder, when one end of the investigation ends, you may have two or three other avenues to continue. Different ways to climb the ladders also include the use of informants. Understand that we don't know the organizations like the people that are associated or in those associations or in those organizations. Debriefing informants, debriefing cooperators, these are the ones that give you the intel needed to dismantle these drug organizations. When it comes to an undercover backstory, a way, not the way, is try to stay true to who you are. I say that because you don't want to start talking different, acting different, start moving with a certain swag that really anybody can see that knows that that's not you. With your backstory, find facts in your life that are true and change them little by little to fit the type of undercover that you're doing, where you're from. Maybe you don't use exactly where you were born. Maybe you have an uncle in a certain area and you know that town at the back of your hand, maybe you'll use that one. Different parts like that to fit who you are. The least lies that you tell are better for your undercover backstory. When it comes to thinking like a criminal, unless you are one, the only way to understand criminals is to debrief them. An informant is your best friend. The only way that you can learn the drug trade is through an informant. The only way that you can learn how the criminals are conducting certain crimes is through the informant. At the end of the day, you can do all the research that you want, but to think like a criminal, you have to be able to talk to them and understand their craft. When we're talking an upper level drug deal, usually the three steps are you have the meat. 
the meet is you're feeling each other out, you're getting that trust, you're gaining that vibe. Once you have that vibe and you have that feeling that it feels right, it's clicking, from there, you would move on to the sample. The sample is just like you're test driving a car. You're gonna go to the dealership, you wanna go buy a car. Usually, 9.9 of 10 times, you're gonna wanna drive that car before you actually spend that money. It's the exact same thing when it comes to these large quantities of, of narcotics. Before you go and buy a $35,000 kilo, you might wanna sample it before you buy it. So in that stage, it's the sample. Once you put out that sample, and whether if it's your associates or your buyers saying that the sample is great, from there we move on to the deal. The deal is obviously the last phase. Now the deal can happen in two different ways. Either show the money in exchange for the drugs, or the drugs first to make sure that the quality is the same as the sample. And once that's done, then you turn over the money. That would end your three-step process for an upper-level drug deal. When it comes to undercover operations, usually, for the most part, you're introduced by an informant. It's very rare to not be introduced or vouched by someone. It's extremely difficult to get into an undercover role and infiltrate an organization without someone vouching for you. Utilizing an informant for an undercover operation is very common. Once I have been vouched for, once I have infiltrated the organization, my job is to try and cut out that informant as quickly as possible. I'd rather my voice be on all of the recordings and videos and not the informants. The informant is to introduce, make sure everyone is feeling good, feeling great, and cut him out as quick as you can. The typical length for undercover operations varies based on where you are and what kind of an organization. You have your, your street buys, your regular roll-up, open-air market, quick buy. Those can last 30 seconds. Those guys get arrested and that's the end of that undercover operation. You have it from there to long-term, one-year investigations where you literally flip a switch. I mean, you become this different person and you live that life until the end of the operation. Again, these operations can last up to a year, even more, depending on what kind of organization you're infiltrating. My longest undercover operation lasted a year and two months. We obviously all have different personalities, different skills. I'd say one that would be consistent across the board that I would look for in an undercover is someone that's likable. Understand that your job is to try and get this undercover to be accepted into a criminal organization. If that person's not likable, it just makes things a little bit harder. That's definitely one trait that I would look for in an undercover. Another trait or skill is a people person. Undercover is really all about being able to have a conversation with someone, being open with someone. Another trait that I look forward undercovers is staying calm during stressful situations. Understand that when you're in an undercover role, the cavalry is probably not close enough in case something was to happen. In a stressful situation, you have to be able to take care of yourself to buy you time before your cavalry comes, before your backup comes. The process for becoming undercover varies. You have agencies and departments that, as long as you're willing to do undercover work, they will put you out there doing undercover work the day after you graduate the academy. Then you have departments and agencies that require you to go to some kind of training. From there, you end up doing, let's say, cameo roles where you can join, whether if it's an, another undercover or an informant on operation. And once you feel good and once you feel as though you're comfortable with doing undercover operations, then at that point, you would be allowed to conduct primary role undercover operations. My opinion is that every undercover should attend some kind of training and be some kind of secondary role before actually becoming the primary undercover on an operation.
When it comes to drug trafficking organizations, usually you want to identify where the source of supply or where the source city is. When it comes to undercover work, undercovers are meant to stay in the shadows, behind the scenes. Also understand that that's not just on duty, but also off duty. It's part of the life. It's either you're going to accept that type of life or it's just not for you. That also includes social media. They say social media is the devil. In all reality, especially if you have a family, it's not something that you're gonna invest in, but also your family. Your family needs to understand that you can't be on social media. They need to understand that you can't be in pictures. They need to understand that if there's a, a wedding, you're not gonna be all the pictures that are being shared throughout all social platforms. So it definitely is something that you need to think of before deciding, do I really wanna be an undercover? When you finally do make that decision to be an undercover, make sure that if you do have a significant other, depending on the age of your children, you've made the decision, but also the decision needs to be shared and you're pretty much asking, not telling your family because it does affect your family. I've made the point before, if you're going to the mall, especially if you're working in that same town or in that same city, understand that maybe your family is going to be walking in front of you while you're walking behind them. You never know who you can run into. So it's a decision that you're not only making, but also a significant other for your children. When it comes to children, I mean, it's definitely very hard. And the reason is, you know, I started as a street cop. My son would see me in uniform. He would see me with my, my gun belt, with my vest. And then came the transition into narcotics. And then came the transition into undercover. And to be asked by, you know, your son or daughter, you know, I miss it when you were a police officer because they don't know. Now they see you dressed like this. It's definitely something that you have to understand because in the eyes of not only your children, but also the public, you're not a police officer. And when, you, when they look at you, they're not thinking that guy's a cop. You could easily fall into, well, that guy's part of that organization or that guy's gotta be a criminal. That guy's gotta be a, a bad guy. Um, it's happened. When it comes to Life prior to undercover, you have to be able to understand what's out there about you. You have to understand what pictures of you or your family are out there. Because once it hits the internet, they say it's it's always there. Once you're able to identify those things, now you have to think of a story as to if you're ever caught that you were in this picture or you were caught that you know you were you used to work here, here's your picture. You have to have a story about that. Even if there's a picture of you in uniform, that's something that you have to navigate. So maybe you're not going to be doing undercover work where it is that you work. Maybe you can do undercover work in other parts of the state, other parts of the county. So that also goes into, can you do undercover work? If you're someone that your picture is out there everywhere on each social media platform, maybe undercover work just isn't the right thing for you. And it's not because you don't want to, because the reason is anything that happens to you when you get involved, it's not just affecting you, it's also affecting your family. When it comes to life after an undercover, one of the things that I preach is undercover can't be your only job. You have to be well-rounded. You have to be able to be a detective, an investigator. Undercover work should be looked at as a collateral duty because there may be that one day where it just hits you and you have said, I've had enough, or you have a scary moment and you've decided I've had enough, or it's time to get promoted. It's time to move on. You have to bring something to the table because life after you retire 
life after you get promoted, you're not really bringing anything to the table when it comes to undercover work. So for myself, I stress and I really bring home the fact that if you're doing undercover work, it's because you know the job as an investigator or detective. When I'm on the set and I'm actually infiltrating these organizations, I'm doing it as an undercover, but also doing it as an investigator. I'm thinking, this is what I need to get this search warrant. This is what I need to be able to hit this door for my probable cause. That's how undercover should be thinking so that if anything does happen, and even if it's not by choice, command, chain of command says you've had enough, they could say, all right, you're done doing undercover work. We're going to put you in the detective bureau. We're going to put you on this task force. You want to be well-rounded. You don't want to be that guy where they say, he's done doing undercover work. What can we do with him? Where can we put him? That's what you don't want. When it comes to the question of when is the right time or when can I put in for undercover work or how much experience, the truth is different agencies think different. It's A way, not B way. My personal opinion is if you're going to put in for undercover work, it's because you understand the violation or the crimes that you are essentially going to get evidence on. You understand what you need for probable cause. You understand what you need for this search warrant. You understand what you need for this communications data warrant. Once you understand all those things and they can throw you out there and you can gather that evidence that's needed, that's when I feel like you're ready to become an undercover. Also, you have to attend some kind of training. This is a completely different animal than what you've done in the academy. You go to the academy for six months and after those six months, they feel like you're ready to go hit the streets. Undercover work, they say, all right, you're a police officer, graduate academy, you're good to go out there and do undercover work without any kind of training. That's where we set up our officers for failure. In my opinion, you need some kind of training. One of the biggest mistakes in undercover is the comfort level of that officer. When that officer gets to the point where they start ignoring that feeling when the hair on the back of your neck stands up, that's what gets us through the day. That's what gets us through the operation. When you have that sense that something is wrong and you decide, you know what, it's time to get off the set. It's time to go home. It's time to put the call in and, and leave. Once we start ignoring those feelings and getting so comfortable without having your head on the swivel, that's when we start getting hurt. That's when operations start taking a turn for the worse. I would say that that's the number one mistake that an undercover can make is their comfort level. Another mistake that undercovers make is when they feel as though they're the guy that has to do everything. You have these organizations that have a person that moves this kind of drug. You have this person that moves the money. You have this person that drives the target around. You have this person that goes and picks up the money from the bank. When you have an undercover that perceives him or herself as someone that does it all, now you start raising those red flags on the criminal side of it. They look at you and say, this guy does, does everything. And when usually you have these organizations that you have someone doing, a certain person doing something different. Once you want to be the only guy involved in operations, that's how you end up getting either you suffer or your investigation starts taking a turn for the worse. Other mistakes that you see to make, they don't sanitize, they, we call it sanitizing. You don't sanitize yourself. When I do an undercover, I literally flip a switch. I become this different person. I don't have the same watch on that I do in my personal life. I don't have the same bracelet that I would have in my personal life. You need to become that other person. 
your wallet should have nothing from your personal life. Uh, your hats, everything should be different. So when you go on the set, you're literally this undercover identity. The same thing goes for your vehicle. There should be nothing police in that vehicle. There shouldn't be anything of blue line on your body or on your vehicle. We have to, as undercover, sanitize ourselves and go through that extra step to make sure we're putting our people in the safest possible atmosphere before getting out and seeing these organizations on their home turf. I want to say that everyone has a different way to get in to roll. My way is once I'm ready and I flip the switch and I put on my undercover identity clothes and I'm ready to go, I get in my car and I put on my music. You have you know, the music that's played at football games where the players, they psych themselves up and that's how they get into that mood to go out and hit the field. I kind of adapted that where I get in my car, I put on my music and it just it gets me going, it gets my adrenaline going. And by the time I'm done and I'm out of that car, I'm ready. I don't mingle both sides. Once I flip that switch, I don't have my personal phone. I'm not checking to see if this family member called or if my friend is calling. It's I flip the switch. I'm not going back to who I really am until the operation is done. As officers, we see these, these seizures on highways. You have a kilo, you have five kilos, 10 pounds of meth. You have 20 kilos. Understand that all these drugs have destinations. They tend to be in either source cities. From those source cities, they're going to these local jurisdictions where they're doing these high-level deals. Since I've been doing undercover work, all of my high-level deals have been in regular places in local jurisdictions. For example, Walmarts, Targets, Marabreds, Kmarts, Home Depot. These stores are in every single jurisdiction out there. So understand that if you're in a jurisdiction that's two square miles with 90,000 people, and you're saying that these are not happening in my town, I'm telling you that you're wrong. They're happening in all types of rural and urban environments. I'm telling you that once you understand the indicators and know what to look for, they happen so quick. Depending on at what stage of the deal that you're witnessing, whether if it's the sample, whether if it's the meat, whether if it's the actual drug deal, the drug deal can happen in a matter of 10 seconds, a quick swap of a bag. If you're not looking for it, just like that, the drug deal can be gone. When it comes to, they call that backstopping, when it comes to backstopping and building who you are, depending on how deep you go into your backstop, your backstory, is really on the investigation that you're conducting. If you have someone that's doing it undercover and his job is to go to a source city, go to a corner and do a quick hand-to-hand -hand off that guy, you're really not going to have that undercover going to that depth of building, you know, getting a social security number or, or getting a, a social media platform that's been vetted to be on point to where a phone call could be made and is this person real? So I think it all depends on the investigation that the undercover is, is really in or, or a part of. I myself, I've had, I've had undercovers where, yeah, I want to have some kind of social media. The reason being is if you have someone that you're going to be with every single day for the next year, it's normal to have some kind of social media life. And if, you, if I don't have that, then I myself have built a life in my phone, in my undercover phone, where I may not put it on social media, but if I'm with a target, if I'm with a, an organization, I can show them, this is my life. This is where I've been. These are my friends. And it's all been made for the undercover purpose. Tips for creating your undercover story, your undercover backstory, your legend. I personally would start with writing a story. 
Take a piece of paper, a book, and literally write out a story of who you are, where you were born, the name of your parents. And from there, you're gonna go all the way to where you are today. And once you have that story, you're gonna read that story over and over and over and over again to the point where you know that story if someone was to ask you tomorrow. Now, what you're able to do is you could change parts of that story based on the undercover operation that you're doing. If for whatever reason you say in your story that you were born in Dallas, Texas, but for this operation you need to be born in New York City, you could easily change that part of the story and keep everything else the same. But again, you have to be able to put in the work to sit down and say, I'm gonna make the story of my undercover life. I'm gonna read it, understand it, memorize it, and it's going to become something so real that if someone was to ask you what are your parents' names, where are you from, where did you work, it's so natural because you know that undercover persona, you know that undercover story. That would be my recommendation, my tip for those that want to get into undercover. And the truth is, you may, in your 10 years of undercover operations, you may never need that whole story. But if it ever came down to it, you could recite it like the back of your hand. If you're part of a small police department in a small town, it's very, very difficult to pull off undercover work. But understand that undercover work doesn't just mean being face-to-face. -face. In this day and age, we're going after predators online. You could easily become an undercover officer online. Go to the same training because it involves talking to people, how to talk to people. You still have to understand your backstory, where you're from, and never actually have to see a person face-to-face. -face. So there are definitely opportunities for undercovers in smaller communities. Another thing that you can do is you could get other surrounding towns, other surrounding counties involved in an undercover program. If they have operations going that they need an undercover, you can easily switch out undercovers. You're gonna go and do undercovers in this small community where everybody knows everybody over there. If you have an operation in your small town, they can easily send an undercover to do operations in your small community. And that way, everybody's kind of sharing services and you're not putting your undercovers in danger by having them do undercovers in a police force that has 20 guys in it. In all reality, the undercover is in role until the bad guy is in cuffs and let's just say in jail or prison. So if the takedown operation happens and I'm there, I am still in role. I'm not playing as a police officer and an undercover. I don't get out of character and say I'm also a police officer. Put your hands up. I stay in role. Sometimes I end up getting arrested, but it all depends on after the target gets arrested, what happens from there. And I say that because if right there he decides I want to work, he may never find out that you're not a cover. Now, if he decides I'm not going to work, I don't want to become an informant, I'm taking this to trial, at some point it's going to come out that he was dealing with an undercover officer. Depending on the type of investigation it is, sometimes they can figure it out, sometimes they can never figure it out when it's the undercover. And that goes on the investigators, that goes on supervisors, and it also goes on the undercover. If you're doing a good enough job where he can question who is the undercover, sometimes it's just blatantly obvious if I got arrested, the only person that could have been the undercover is this person. So it varies when the target finds out he dealt with an undercover. Sometimes he never finds out. And that's the way that I personally would like to keep it. It also depends on what he's charged, what he or she is charged, what goes in on that complaint. Does it say, you know, this guy distributing narcotics to an undercover officer? Or do, do the attorneys, do the prosecutors or use attorneys, are they able to keep it vague enough where he is being charged, but it doesn't necessarily say he was distributing to an undercover officer? So in that, it, it varies time to time, to be honest.
when it comes to females filling that undercover role, if there is any advice to give, females should always draw that line in the sand where no matter how friendly the target is, no matter how friendly uh, the subject of the investigation is, he's not going to touch you, he's not going to, you're not going to flirt because sometimes females can easily get into a target investigation just based on looks or just because he has something that he would like out of the undercover and if that isn't made perfectly clear from the female undercover officer in his mind or in her mind the target of the investigation they're looking to get something out of it and that to me is where a female could really go down a rabbit hole that she may not be able to get out of if he feels comfortable that he can touch you or if he feels comfortable that he can kiss you it's only going to get worse from there so if there's any advice i mean they should obviously a female should obviously take advice from other female undercovers that have been doing it and they've been on the set and they know what it is to expect. The one thing that I would say is just have that line where no matter what in the investigation you're not going to have that target cross that. The truth is us undercovers we are we're human just like like everyone else. If you're around someone for so long especially on these operations where you know you could be with someone for five days a week for a year and a half and if that certain person if the crime that they're committing is you know whether if it's selling drugs or selling stolen parts but they're good to you and that could be vouching for you that could be hey someone in the streets tried to do some harm to the undercover and the person that stepped in was the target of your investigation that has happened and it's only natural for you to say or for you to think you know what this guy maybe not may not be as bad however we have to understand that we do have a job to do and our job is to investigate prosecute certain crimes so if that's your goal you know we want to start each operation with our with a goal this is the goal it involves putting our emotions aside putting those feelings aside to get to that goal and it can be tough you know, some of those connections become brotherly, sisterly, and it is definitely something that can mess with an undercover's head, especially on long-term investigations. If you're looking to get into undercover work, I myself would start out with making some good quality arrests and being out there, keep pushing forward, get your training in. The biggest thing for the undercover life is understanding the craft, understanding the criminal enterprise, the criminality that's that's happening out there. And the only way to truly understand that, yes, it's good to read some books, it is good to, to go to a training, but you're really not getting the full effect unless you're deep with your informants. Because these criminals, they live this life every day, 24 seven, 365 days a year. So who better to, to tell you how things are than them? Even myself, I have debriefed informant after informant to learn the craft of criminality. But I myself don't live this life every day. I still, to this day, debrief informants and, and learn. And it's humbling. We have to be humble to say, I don't know, please teach me. And we're doing that to people that we just arrested. So we have to be able to, to understand that once the job is done, we need to sit down, be on the same level, and, and essentially having a conversation and look at that subject and look at that target if that person wants to work. To be able to say from yourself to that target, I don't know, please teach me. And if you can do that, that would be your first step into the undercover world. Balancing undercover work with family, it's really the same as just balancing everything in life. Everything in life is, you know, you want to have balance throughout your life. Not just undercover work, but work, 
hobbies, you know, family. The truth is I have let undercover work consume my life to the point where it has affected my family. And, you know, it's, it's things like that where you can't get back. You can't get that time back. And it's only until you've already made those mistakes and you've picked the undercover work or undercover life over family matters down the road. The only thing that you have is regret. If you miss a drug deal, if you miss a, a meet with the bad guy, you can always get that. Whether if it's the next day or the next week or the next month, the truth is if you miss a birthday, if you miss a quinceanera, you miss a, a baseball game where you know, your son or your daughter hits a home run or a gymnastics competition where your daughter or your son won first place, you'll never be, a, be able to get those days back. and. That's where balance comes in. You have to understand that. Do we have the possibility of missing family events because of a holiday? Yes. But you just can't always be a yes man or a yes woman. You have to be able to say no and understand that the first thing in your life, your priority should be your family. Learn from me. Learn from me.